0: We're back again this week with episode 340 of the AMPM podcast. This week's guest is Ritu Java, the winner of the billion dollar seller summit speaker prize. That's right. She was voted back in February at the virtual billion dollar seller summit that I host as the best speaker by the audience. And she's going to be sharing some of those strategies that actually won her that award and a lot more in this episode. I think you're going to really find some great information, especially when it comes to marketing and PPC. Enjoy. And don't forget, it's not too late if you want to come to the next Billion Dollar Seller Summit. It's happening June 11th to the 15th in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Just go to BillionDollarSellerSummit.com, BillionDollarSellerSummit.com. You can see all the speakers, see the hotel, see all the information. Hopefully, you can join us there.
1: Welcome to the AM, PM podcast. Welcome to the AM, PM podcast. Where we explore opportunities in e-commerce. Commerce. We dream big and we discover what's working right now. Plus, plus this is the podcast for money never sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for today's episode? I said, I said are, are, are you, you ready? ready? Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin King. Kevin King.
0: Ritu Java, welcome to the AMPM podcast. I'm super excited to have you joining us today.
1: Hey Kevin, thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting.
0: now I think the last time I saw you, well, I saw you in uh, Prosper. Uh, you were dancing the night away at a couple of uh, the parties <laughs> there at uh, at Prosper. But before that, uh, back in February. For those of you that have been living under a rock and maybe didn't see uh, all the posts and everything, Ritu actually was voted the best speaker at the Billion Dollar Seller Summit, the virtual edition, with a pretty killer presentation. We might actually share a couple things from that uh, later in this podcast, for those of you that uh, that missed that, but it blew people's minds. Ritu, you've been doing this for a day or two. I mean, you've been in the e-commerce, you're not new to this e-commerce space. You've been doing this since uh, like almost like, what, 13, 14, 15 years, something like that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for the mention uh, on the BDSS. I was like super blown away myself with uh, the response. I'm I'm glad this topic that I shared resonated with everyone. So yeah, a little bit about my background. I actually started, uh, you know, my e-commerce journey way back in 2010 when I was an Etsy seller. So I started on the Etsy platform and um, kind of realized pretty quickly that, you know, just because you have a listing doesn't mean people are going to buy your stuff, you know. So I had to kind of uh really teach myself marketing I had to teach myself data um, you know at the time I was living in Japan so you know it, it was kind of you know a non-english speaking environment and stuff so I decided I would move to the United States and uh, do a course uh, in data science so I'm an engineer by background but I wanted to go back to school and kind of get a little bit more deeper into data and you know I just wanted to figure this out. Like I wanted to figure e-commerce out. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to today, I'm the CEO of PPC Ninja. We're a software and services provider in the Amazon advertising space. Um, and I'm really pumped uh, with, you know, any kind of data, data analysis, uh, analytics, and all the new stuff, uh, all the great juicy data that Amazon keeps throwing at us. I love that stuff. Um, and off late, I have been playing a lot with ChatGPT, uh, and OpenAI and just uh, loving uh, all the interesting things that I'm, you know, learning on on a daily basis. Um, yeah, it's just mind-blowing how quickly this thing has uh, exponentially kind of taken the world.
0: You, so, you, your background is in engineering, you said. So, Did you went to school and uh, you're originally from India, right?
1: Yes, I went to engineering school in India. I did uh, my electronics engineering, electronics and communication engineering. Way back, whenever I'm not gonna <laughs> say when that was, yeah. but yes, that was a very long time ago.
0: <laughs> it couldn't have been that yeah. long ago. You, you, you're not a day past 25, so it couldn't have been that long ago.
1: <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Kevin.
0: So when you when you were se- started selling Etsy from Japan, were you selling stuff into the United States? Were you like making handmade stuff and then shipping it from?
1: or exactly. like Japanese
0: type of oriented things and shipping that into other countries? Is that what you were doing?
1: Yeah, I, I was doing exactly that. So the Etsy uh, back then was only on the, uh, on the US uh, side. I don't think they had other marketplaces. Uh, so, you know, at that time I was just shipping and the shipping costs were just killer. And I was trying to figure out all these different ways of being able to send these light packages and, you know, kind of use the lightest, thinnest materials that wouldn't destroy my jewelry because it was like so delicate. Uh, You know, I couldn't use a box. I had to use like uh, bubble wrap and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it was a challenge, Uh, you know, and uh, on top of that, you know, getting the visibility, uh, that was a challenge as well, you know, because I would say I'm selling from Japan and then they would say, oh, shipping costs and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so then I started absorbing the shipping costs and that was uh, not easy, you know, not fun, not easy, yeah.
0: Did you continue that when you came to the U.S. to study for a couple of years? Did you keep selling on your jewelry on? Etsy or did you just focus on just the, the studies?
1: yeah i just dropped it completely i just told myself this is a new start i'm going to figure this this thing out and then come back later i mean i never went back to uh, etsy at all uh, but i was more now i'm more interested in amazon than <laughs> etsy so yeah i mean the etsy store is still there um you know and people can uh, see my jewelry there but uh, it's not it's not an active store so yeah i never went back to it i have tons and tons of inventory <laughs> as sellers <laughs> we you know we we do Pick up inventory. So many beads, so many different styles, so many different jewelry, uh, but it's just uh, lying lying in a box.
0: So when you came and you went to school, what was it that drove you or that really appealed to you about e-commerce?
1: Yeah. So because it was all related to data, right? So I was uh, I was really understanding, trying to understand. Um, you know, how marketing works, how advertising works. And um, I wanted to do it formally because I had kind of gone through all the courses that were out there, like on, you know, there were so many people sharing their knowledge uh, on Facebook marketing, Facebook ads, Google ads. I tried all of that, you know, in my own way. Uh, And then I realized that, you know, I needed uh, better tools. I needed a better way of looking into data, slicing and dicing it in different ways so that I could get the results that I wanted. Um, And then, just happened to have the opportunity to work at an Amazon selling account uh, and that's how I got into Amazon you know so that was my lucky break (laughs) I would say and then I just found that you know the ROI is so high the conversion rate is so high on Amazon compared to all these other channels Um, I just uh, you know I just think this was perfect I just kept getting drawn more and more into Amazon so uh, I'm, I'm happy here actually.
0: So when you started doing the Amazon stuff, what year was that uh, roughly? 20, 20, that was 2016.
1: 2016? 2016.
0: 2016. Yeah. So end of 2016. So it's changed a lot. I mean, your specialty is more on the PPC and the advertising side for Amazon sellers. It's dramatically changed. Back in 2016, it was just basic. For those of you that weren't around then, it was just simple, basic, easy. Uh, you really didn't need an agency. You didn't need someone that was a data scientist to do it. You just hit a couple buttons and there's like, three choices and that was it, but it's evolved dramatically now. And, and now it's, it's, it's just, it's mind blowing for a lot of people. They just can't get their head around it. They don't like dealing with the numbers. Uh, and so they just job it out. How have you seen it drastically change in the last seven years since you first got into Mm -hmm. it?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, the way you describe it is exactly how I remember it. So uh, there was sponsored product ads, but back then they didn't have ASIN targeting even. Uh, they, you know, sponsored brand ads uh, were, were just getting rolled out. Uh, in fact, there was a hack that people wanted so badly just to get the sponsored brand ad placement, which was to sign up for Vendor Express. Back then there was this backdoor way of getting uh SB ads and yeah, I remember the guys at
0: amazing.com did a special webinar where they charged uh-huh. like a hundred and forty seven dollars and they oh. had this they they had this special webinar and they got like nine hundred people to do it or something some crazy number like they, that that oh, and that's goodness. that's what the hat that's what the whole webinar was about. Here's how to get this competitive advantage on sponsored uh display uh, display ads by having this uh this account that Amazon's done away with now you don't even they don't even have that account and here's how to sign up for it it was it was like you're exactly right it's like a little ninja hack
1: Yep. Yep. it was crazy <laughs> yeah that was crazy um yeah and then we noticed you know the rollouts of so many different features the sponsored display which didn't uh used to exist exist back then that was rolled out um, and then, you know, it got more and more uh, complex. I think sponsored display at this point is by far the most complex ad type with so many settings that, you know, all of those settings, if you didn't set them right, could take you in a different direction. Um, there's, you know, VCPM campaigns, which uh, are can be very misleading. Uh, there's so many different things, right? So people don't always know this stuff. Uh, like recently, I was talking to somebody on a podcast about uh, Vcpm campaigns and how they can be. they make they may make you look like you're doing a great job because the cost shows up as really, really low, but actually they're cannibalizing your. Uh, other sales like you are already getting those sales through organic or through another ad but because this ad type shows up on the product detail page even uh, it can and also the fact that amazon uh, uses last last touch attribution uh, this ad type gets uh, attributed all the you know conversions that were going to happen on that page anyway so how many people know this in fact Barely any. I mean, I talk to agencies and they're like, no, they're fighting for this ad type because it's making them look good. It's making them look really, really good because their overall account ACOS is looking really good. But we actually uh, uncovered, you know, the, the problems with it. These were not click-based ads, they're impression-based ads. And Amazon is showing that data alongside click-based, and it just can get so misleading. Um and you know these are subtle things that you either know it or you don't and most people have just too much too much other stuff to pay attention to and this can get completely um you know ignored like the ppc knowledge the ppc saying staying abreast of all the new changes uh, that are happening in the ppc advertising world uh it's easy to ignore them uh and uh and you don't know what to change, what levers to pull to to grow your account. If you have a really terrible profitability, oftentimes you're you're frozen. You're like, okay, now what do I do? You know, and then you turn to agencies, and that's how this whole you know uh, space with lots and lots of tools, almost sixty eight tools and counting, uh, lots and lots of agencies came up because people don't know how to. Manage Amazon, how to tame the beast. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a different ball game altogether now.
0: So there's 68 tools out there for Amazon sellers to help them in some way manage PPC.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I remember when there's none, <laughs> and, and and I think Brian Johnson or someone like that had one of the first ones uh, way back when, and that that space has completely completely evolved. So if if I'm like you said, it, it gets complicated. And if I'm a bigger seller, I'm probably going to either have someone on my team dedicated to that, or I'm going to job it out to an agency. But the, the thing I see with people are always asking me all the time, like who, what, what's a good PPC agency? Who should I be recommending? And there's a ton of them out there. Some are, are, have a better reputation than others. Some, um, but what I've always found is it's not so much about the agency is it's about the person that you get at that agency. So I've tried several different agencies, and I could say this one, you should go with this one. I had a great experience. But that's just because I had whoever the employee was or the rep was, was really good and on top of it. But someone Mm -hmm. else in that agency might not be as good. Versus I could go to another agency and have a a similar experience where maybe I get a bad one. I say that agency's not good. So what, what do you recommend? If I'm an experienced seller and I'm like, I'm frustrated with my ppc or maybe i have an, a current agency that's just not performing the way i want them to do how would you mm-hmm. go about like interviewing or, or or tackling that issue of finding the right fit
1: yeah and i would just throw in one more thing so it's uh you know the person you get is one thing but then you also want to interview the process they use because people are only as good as the processes that they are following so if an agency is not Process oriented. If they don't have SOPs, if if the quality of their SOPs is either bad or those SOPs are just not followed, then uh, again, that's another problem. So how would you know? Industry, how would you
0: know that? Would you ask them? They're not. Are they going to share those them. with
1: you? Yeah, we sh- we share all our SOPs. Uh, so so you know the two ways. Two ways to find out. One, uh, get them to do an audit, uh, and that's one really good way of finding out what are the things they're focused on. Uh, and what they're likely to be focused on once you give them the account. So that's number one. So we always do an audit for all our all our uh, agency clients.
0: Now, what does an audit tell me? So you come in and do it just mm-hmm. to explain this to the audience if that's never done one. Yeah. Someone else is managing my PPC or I'm doing it myself. You come in and audit. What do you tell me?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different things we do in our audit. Number one, we give you the uh, account level insight, which is uh, at an overall account level, how you are performing. Like People generally know, okay, my ACOS is this, my TACOS is this, my Spend this and my sales is this. But there's other things that you might be missing out on. For example, what is your conversion rate on the ad side versus conversion rate on the PPC side? Uh, there's other things that people don't always see. What is your sales coming from? Branded searches versus non-branded searches. Or, you know, whether you're using all the different ad types or not. So ad coverage, uh, whether you are uh, using your uh, placement modifiers correctly, whether you're using your bidding strategies correctly or not, because we go in and find specific examples to show them, you know, whether where they're using these tools incorrectly. So we'll point out uh, a bunch of them. So we have this checklist. We'll go through that. We'll, you know, make our notes, and then we have a one-on-one meeting, and then we share the strategies. After that, you know, even if we don't have a positive outcome in terms of them converting, uh, they will still walk away with something valuable. So that's generally how our uh, PPC audits are structured, and we also do a little bit of a light audit on the. Um, Retail readiness side of things because without retail readiness, uh, you know, if, if someone tells you that you have two percent conversion rate on your unit session percentages and we can do a great job on PPC, I think that's a big lie. And so, if an agency doesn't know the difference, uh, you know, if the page isn't converting and you're pushing more money uh, onto that page uh, and the conversion rate is so poor, you're not going to succeed with PPC. Something that's not working needs to be fixed first. So, all these things can be pretty, um, you know, well explained. If you are having a, a an audit and you're talking through all the numbers there, so you look at the numbers, you look at the strategies that they they think they will use uh, to to counter all the the flaws that they've they've noticed. You know, it can't be just a general statement. It has to be like more specific, like what exactly are you going to do? Um, and then you can also look at their SOPs. So we actually have a Trello uh, based SOP system for daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly. Uh, we have a list of Things we check on on a regular basis, and we happily share that if they ask for it. You know, if they say, "Okay, what's your SOP?" We'll say, "Here it is."
0: So, w- what level should I be looking to job out my PPC? Is it should I be hit? Wait till I hit a hundred thousand dollars? Should am I am I a new seller, and I should, should I start right away with it with an agency? What What do you recommend uh, that people do when it comes to to imagine their people? Should they learn it in the beginning? Like if you're just starting out and you put in $10,000, should I just kind of try it myself just so I kind of basically understand the, the jargon and the terminology before I job it out so I can have a intelligent conversations with somebody? Or what, what would be your approach and recommendation for a brand new person? And at what level should they consider switching it over to, the, to an expert that does this day in, day out?
1: Yeah, so I've seen people, uh, you know, on both sides of the spectrum, people who are brand new who just don't understand where to start. They're like afraid of the whole PPC thing. Um, And we often help them in the early uh, phases and then we hand the account back to them. So let's say if they just need help understanding, you know, how do I run, how do I even start? You know, where do I start? Uh, You know, we help with setting up their campaigns and structures and basically teaching them some good best practices right in the beginning of their journey because they're going to use PPC forever. They're not going to ever drop it. So you know it's it's kind of nice if you are a you know brand new seller to to learn PPC on your own. But if you need help um, and you need it like yesterday, then you might as well uh, speak to an agency uh, who will do like the initial setup and teach you the basics. Uh, you know, just do it with them for a couple of months uh, and then take a break. Um, see if you can handle it yourself. You know, uh, learn the ropes, uh, and then uh, once it gets, you know too big to the point that it's affecting uh, your other um, work. Like if it's taking you away from managing the rest of your Amazon account, then definitely at that point, start looking out uh, and let someone else manage it. Now, of course, the value has to be there, right? Uh, They have to be able to pay for themselves. Uh, If they can't pay for themselves at that stage, initially, of course, they won't be able to pay for themselves because you're also not selling. But once you're a mature seller and you want uh, this agency to be able to pay for themselves uh, and and be incentivized to grow and uh, give you profits uh then at that point you know it's probably a, a good idea to to go ahead um, now the other thing i would also recommend is that you know if an agency has uh, a software that they're using then also evaluate the software because a lot will depend on how the software works uh, and sometimes the software could you know could basically be doing all the work in terms of like ai or whatever and the agent or agency is um, mer- merely setting uh, some parameters there and uh, and and maybe not working so much on the creative side of things because i think that VPC has two aspects one is the um you know daily weekly ma- management stuff like bid management budget management uh, placement modifier management bidding strategy management these are all you know, better suited for software. They're the kinds of things that software can do a lot better than humans uh, because it's volumes and volumes of data. And the other side of PPC, in my opinion, is the creative side of things, you know, uh, things that involve uh, keyword research or competitor research or finding out which keywords you should be going after, where is the low-hanging fruit? Like, which ad types are going to give you the best results now? What is the the earliest you can get on to some sort of beta that Amazon is running? Like, right now, there's this amazing beta uh, with video ads that not a lot of people have caught on. But I suppose uh, by the end of this <laughs> episode, people would be using <laughs> that, uh, given how many downloads you guys have. Um, yeah, so there's just a lot of those creative things, you know, even thinking through what kind of sponsored brand headline ads we should run, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I think, better suited for human work. Like humans can do a lot, a lot better uh, on, the, on those aspects. And I think you, sh- uh, anyone who's looking for an agency should, should try and figure out what is the balance between those two aspects.
0: So Amazon's become much more of a pay to play platform. I mean, I remember back when 2016, when you first started, it was back then it was about 80, 85% organic sales and maybe 10, 15, maybe 20% uh, PPC. That's what would you say it is across a lot of your clients now? Is it, is that, has that flipped? What are you seeing as far as the the mix and the ratio that uh, a healthy account uh, is maintaining?
1: Yeah, it hasn't exactly flipped. Uh, I mean, it is definitely going more towards uh, PPC. Uh, but the way I would put it is um, if you are a newish seller, let's say between two to three years on Amazon, I would consider that kind of newish. Um, I think the ratios are. More uh, on the side of PPC versus organic. Whereas if you've been in the game for a while, like eight years, nine years, and so on, uh, you will see that your organic is still the bulk of your uh, sales. Um, And the reason is because, you know, gaining relevancy for keywords does take time. You can't just make it happen, even with brute force, even with like giveaways, even with lightning deals and, and so on. It takes a lot of time, uh, a lot of credibility. And, you know, Amazon's algorithm needs to pass you as someone who is, uh, you know, consistently de- delivering results. And so you build that credibility over time. And and those are the, uh, the accounts we see with uh, maybe 30 to 40% coming from uh, PPC and the re- remaining 60 to 70% coming from organic. All the newer accounts that we're seeing, like two years, one year, two years, three years, maybe 70% of their sales would come from uh, PPC and about 30 from organic because they're still trying to build up their relevancy um, and it'll take time.
0: So that's something that maybe a lot of newer, or, or like you said, the sellers who've been selling less than three years, they may not take into consideration how much is actually they're going to have to spend to get that placement. So is yeah. there, I, I know people always say, what's a good tacos or what's a good A cost?" And that just, that depends. I mean, there's not one set number for everybody, but what is just kind of like a basic rule of thumb that you would say someone at that level should just figure that, that, you just need to maintain, I mean, I know the target for a lot of people is like try to get under 10% tacos. That's That seems to be like a common just like target threshold, which may or may not make make sense in all cases. But what would you say is should people be striving for and, and looking for? And a lot of this has to do with the sourcing, too, because you got to source products that have enough margin that you can cover this and a lot of people forget that. They just look at their landed costs and they, they totally forget about baking in a number for, uh, for advertising. What would you say someone, mm. just if they're doing back of the paper math or napkin math, what they should throw in for that number?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I, I shared um a, a tacos formula recently at uh, Prosper at one of my talks there. What we realized was that initially when you're just starting out as a new seller, uh, you will notice that um, your ads will eat into your profits, right? You're basically starting from scratch. You don't have any visibility. You don't have uh, any way of getting people to choose you over, over your competition. So you have to go heavy Uh, on ads, that's kind of the only way you have. But then as you go over time, uh, you will see that, you know, when you start spending more and more on ads, that your um, relevancy, the keyword relevancy starts to build up and then your revenue starts to go up as well, right? So it's almost like, um, imagine uh, two vertical axes, Uh, And one horizontal for the horizontal is the ad spend over time. And the left one, let's say, is uh, your profits. And the right vertical axis is uh, revenue, uh, right, overall total revenue. So what happens is that um, in the initial phases, your profits curve looks like it's going from high to low right? Your, your ads are eating into your profits. Your your profits are actually decreasing. But then simultaneously, your revenue is increasing. And there is a sweet spot in between where for the right amount of spend, you get the right amount of sales. Like any imbalance on that will either cause you to have a, a higher or lower tacos, right? So the tacos value itself cannot be uh, an absolute number. It has to change with your growth as a seller it it has to be different at different stages of your uh, growth on amazon so initially your tacos would be uh, you know much higher uh, till you get to that sweet spot where actually revenue starts to take uh, off and Um, You know, at that point, you can start to push, you know, pull back on your tacos targets and start to make it a little bit more uh, conservative. Right. Uh, As you were saying, 10 percent, like 10 percent is not a number that I can uh, say is the absolute because I don't think we can give out absolute numbers even uh, after you've calculated your COGS and all that stuff. Uh, and your overheads, you will um, you will see uh, a, variabli- a variability in your taco setting, right? So that's something that's going to change over time. So just be aware of that. But then there is a rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is that eventually you want to get to, uh, this is what I normally tell people, is that you want to target uh, at least half of your uh, net margin. So whatever is left at the end of the day, after you know you've paid off Amazon and your your suppliers and everything, your overheads, whatever you're left with, um, and you want to obviously take something back home as well, so try to target about fifty percent of that as your tacos goal eventually.
0: So if if your net margin is thirty percent without advertising in there, yes. then you yes. sh- you should bake back in a fifteen percent spend on on tacos, and then that would put your net once you. Put that column back into the the p l at 15 percent as, as your bottom yes. line that you're reinvesting or taking taking paying yourself out on or, or whatever it may be
1: mm-hmm. exactly yeah so
0: if i'm starting out as a new seller and i've got ten thousand dollars to launch my product i might need to actually either change what i'm launching or i might need to actually say i need another ten thousand dollars just in ppc because i got to buy my way in mm-hmm. something along yeah. those lines i mean that's something a lot of people don't think, or if they have $10,000, I'm like, okay, I got 5,000 that may have to be spent on PPC just to get positioning. And the other 5,000 is what I have to actually buy my product and launch it and everything with. So um, that's a different different way of approaching it than what's been done in the past.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think uh, we need to keep money aside for PPC because it is going to be 60 to 70% of your total sales like you will have to spend and most people do spend like 80% ta- a cost not tacos a cost uh, so then you can do the math there as well how much of how much you will be spending and how much you will be gaining at the end of the day uh, and that could continue for months even you know 6 months 7 months till you build re- relevancy now obviously how you play the game uh, will also decide the outcomes right how you pick your keywords which um you know which niche to go after whether you've done your uh, competitor research enough, whether you understand what you're going up against, you know, is how fragmented is the market? Is it just being occupied by two or three leaders? And you can find that out through Product Opportunity Explorer, by the way. You can look up uh, trends and you can see two things. You can check price points, average price points for a keyword. And then you can also check, um, not for a keyword as in how much you pay for a keyword, but average price point of products that are winning that keyword. Uh, you can find that out and you can find out how many competitors uh, are winning that keyword. So that's, those are two pieces of information that can tell you uh, how you should go about, you know, planning for the right product and then also the right keywords because all of this will, in the end will, you know, come back altogether.
0: So how is AI, that's the buzzword right now. And since November of last year when chat GPT 3.5 was actually released some people started latching onto it and especially in our space and let's help it, uh, rewrite our listings and analyze reviews and help us with the title. especially if we're not a native English speaker, it, it can make a huge difference, but you've taken it to like another level beyond that. And, and actually are using it with PPC now. And you also like at the billion dollar seller summits, the presentation that won the whole thing, you shared like 10 ways to actually use AI to actually analyze big data sets of PPC and write write that out to a Google a customized Google Doc without really knowing any kind of programming, without having to get a bunch of developers involved or anything, it was mind blowing. And I know that's just the beginning. It's just uh, you know it's going to shoot to the moon on what's happening now with GPT with uh, ChatGPT 4.0. Can you talk a little bit about how you're seeing AI's impact Mm -hmm. on? Every, everything but specifically on amazon sellers and, and their advertising and maybe share with us a few insights on that
1: yeah absolutely so uh, you're right i mean around uh, late december early january when this thing just blew up and everybody had access to what was you know uh, much anticipated people on their wait lists and stuff like that um you know i started playing with um, AI, and i started uh, looking at you know what what can be done? You know, what can be done with AI? Can we use it for advertising? Because I'd already seen some case studies of people saying, okay, we're analyzing listings. We're analyzing reviews. We're getting more ideas on how to, you know, change our our product or product descriptions and so on. So there was a lot of uh, those kinds of use cases because ChatGPT is really good at uh, language models. They, they really understand... Um, you know words, uh, and it's it's easy for uh, for for ChatGPT to process a lot of um, text and uh, give you summaries, give you alternatives, give you um, analysis uh, of what's been said. Uh, it can also look for you know patterns across different text uh, pieces and and give you the best out of all of that. So I think those use cases are quite um, well understood now i guess everybody started using uh, you know those ideas to optimize their titles and bullet points and so on now obviously chat gpt is not perfect because it will sometimes give you some random <laughs> responses which you've got to filter out and then there's this whole idea of like writing the correct prompt so that you get the right sort of uh, response that you're expecting so yeah i was just playing with all those things and then i said okay how do I, how do i apply this to uh, ppc like how do i get ChatGPT gpt to be my buddy you know so i can i can do more with ppc Um, And so, uh, you know, I already have like this, uh, you know, uh, kind of affinity for Google Sheets, like I already was doing a bunch of stuff with Google Sheets, uh, but this kind of accelerated it uh, even more. So, we started experimenting uh, using um, ChatGPT and Google Sheets together um, and kind of use that to exponentially increase our productivity and the outcomes. So, yeah, I I at the at BDSS, I'd kind of shared some ideas on how uh, I just told myself, okay, I'm going to create ten tools in ten days. You know, the idea being that um, you can create mini tools, like mini or micro tools. Uh, so many of them uh, for the smallest thing that you want to analyze with your ad data, right? This reports that Amazon gives you, lots and lots of reports, uh, that you can take slices off and say, okay, I want to analyze this part of the data over time. How do I do it, right? So you can use ChatGPT to come up with suggestions on how uh, this data can be uh, utilized. Um, and the way I uh, eventually kind of uh, boiled it down uh, to like four uh, four different ways to interact with ChatGPT, uh, I'll share them. So the first one was... Uh, basically, um, asking ChatGPT directly looks, for example, I I say, okay, here is my product. Uh, this is my product description. Um, I want to find uh, keywords that the audience of this product is likely to use in order to search for it. So, I'm asking ChatGPT's opinion based on whatever uh, information it has from the World Wide Web up until, I think, sep- September 2021. That's the the brain of uh, ChatGPT. And, um, and use that to come up with starting points for keywords. Uh, that was like one experiment I did in early on. And I said, wow, this is great because it gives, gives me as many keywords as I want. Now, obviously you wanna pair that up with tools, right? To uh, get the search volume because just having keywords alone isn't sufficient. So I started pairing that up with Helium 10 because um, uh, I know that Magnet can give you search volume if you provided a bunch of keywords, like up to 200 keywords can be uh, entered into Magnet and then it gives you uh, search volume, which is great because uh, th- that was a perfect kind of pairing of an initial idea with a tool that already existed. And then I just export that information out and uh, and-, and use it, you know, to to do the next steps. Um, another way, so this was asking ChatGPT directly in the UI in the ChatGPT UI. Another thing I started uh, playing with was uh, asking ChatGPT for Google Sheets formulas, which are super useful, but not everybody knows them or remembers them. Like I'm a heavy Google Sheets user, but if you ask me what's the formula to extract blah, blah, blah out of something else, I'll probably have to Google it myself, right? I'll be like, okay, what was the syntax again? I know it's it's doable, but I don't remember it, right? So at that point, instead of going through Google um, as a you know search engine and then going through Stack Overflow to give you the exact formula and then trying it and so on. All you need to do is tell ChatGPT exactly what you want in your Google Sheet in terms of outcomes. You want to say, I have a sheet A that does this, this, this. It's got this on column A. It's got this on column B. And it's got this on column C. And I want another sheet, uh, which I'm going to name blah, blah, blah. And uh, I want you to tell me uh, how is it doing month over month, something like that. So I asked GPT to give me the formulas to add, and it told me exactly which cells to add what formulas to, which was mind blow- blowing because my whole um, you know productivity was 10x. Like I, I didn't have to do any searching, um, any experimenting. I just used the formulas as is, and uh, sometimes those formulas would work and sometimes they wouldn't. So when they didn't work, I would just throw it back at ChatGPT and say, that didn't work. Give me an alternative. So it says, no problem. And it also apologizes pretty <laughs> sweetly. I apologize for the confusion. And then it gives you an alternative. Try this filter formula or try this uh, index array for- formula, which I would never be able to dream up, even if I spent an hour or two just trying to you know, figure the formulas out on Google Sheets. Anyway, so so that was the second way I started experimenting and I started creating these micro tools um, uh, using Google Sheets formulas that did all kinds of things. Then the third way that I interacted with ChatGPT was to say, give me code. And that was uh, the, the, the point at which I, I was like, OK, this is beyond my ability. Like I do not uh, I'm not I don't identify as a programmer, uh, although I know the basics of logic and programming, etc., from my engineering days. But I'm not a programmer, so for me to come up with any kind of code is uh, close to impossible, right? On my own, uh, I can't do it. Uh, so I asked Chat ChatGPT to give me Google uh, App Script formula, for or just give me Google App Script code that I would then insert into Google, and then it would, you know, do whatever it needed to do. And this was amazing because it literally spits out the code and then you copy the code and you put it as uh, you know, as part of your Google sheets extension, you just say app script and you drop the code in there and then you're off to the races. Now, it will also have, um, you know, just like any programming uh, softwares, it will throw errors, right? There will be things that you need to debug, just like bulk files on Amazon, right? Often you get errors, then you need to debug them. And so what I was doing was I was just copying the, the error messages and throwing it back into GPD as is without saying anything. And then it would say, oh, I apologize, this error is because of blah, blah, blah. Let me give you another piece of code. So it would Give me another piece of code, or fix something in my previous code, and I, I was able to create a bunch of uh, really cool, um, uh, you know, PPC tools just using uh, the suggestions that uh, ChatGPT threw up for uh, the Apps Script code. Uh, I mean, in between, it was also giving me Python, which um, I was like, okay, should I do it in Python? Should I do it in Google Apps Script? Okay, let's just try Python. So I also downloaded Python and ran it on my local uh, machine, and I was able to get good results with that as well. So it's you know, it's interesting that. ChatGPT can take a few instructions and then, and then turn that into something that you can use right away. You know, you can create mini tools, micro tools, so many of them, you know, sky's the limit. I created 10 tools in 10 days and I, I kept going. I'm like, okay, I'm going to create more tools. <laughs> I have a bunch of them now. Um, so so that, that was the third way I, I was interacting with ChatGPT. And the fourth way is basically to integrate it right into Google Sheets. So for this, um, you know, basically you, you need to get a little bit of help, uh, which uh, our developer was able to help us. So with a little bit of help, you can get the um, formulas working within Google Sheets so that if you put in a prompt, you will get a response in another um cell and you can basically drag down the formula across all sh- all the roads and uh, do this at scale that was amazing because then i was like okay let's say if i want to create 1000 sponsored brand headline ads today uh for these 1000 keywords can i do it and boom. It's easy, (laughs) like in a matter of minutes, I had 1000 sponsored brand headline ads that can just uh, be used right away with some tweaks, maybe because sometimes it doesn't obey your command. Like I keep saying, don't use exclamation marks, but it still (laughs) slips (laughs) exclamation (laughs) marks. But anyway, you get the idea. So there's four different ways in which I was able to evolve myself and also use ChatGPT in more and more advanced ways. Uh, so now we've just, you know, adopted it as the thing we do. <laughs> we just go to the sheet and just put in a prompt and then it gives you a reply and it stays there. The whole sheet, the whole team can use it and so on. It's it's pretty cool.
0: What differences are you seeing? And a lot of this that you did for like the BDSS was in chat GPT 3.5. But since then, 4.0 has come out and you've started dabbling in that. Are you seeing a big difference or any differences at all in, in that?
1: Yeah, I think ChatGPT4, or GPT-4, which is uh, the back-end that is integrated with uh, our Google Sheets uh, solution, is uh, a little more advanced, actually quite a lot more advanced. Uh, It's still in the text format, um, but I believe more is coming. Like I believe you will be able to now upload images and things like that and interact with GPT, provided there are some interfaces that, Take it. So I'm just playing with the text version of it right now. So there are some changes um, and um, I can explain a few of them. So, for example, there's one new addition where you can set the persona of the person you think ChatGPT should be when answering the question. So it's from the perspective of who. Uh, for example, you can say uh, you are a helpful assistant, or you are an engineer, or you are a model, or whatever. From that person's perspective, answer this question. You know, so that makes a whole lot of difference because then it's more kind of catered to, to the kind of response you're hoping for. Uh, that's one persona is new in ChatGPT four. Then there is this thing called facts. Um, Earlier, we didn't have facts. Facts basically is you giving ChatGPT, uh, you know, um, actual facts that it should use, um, you know, because it doesn't know everything. Like it, it does not always understand, and it can get mixed up with facts versus interpretation. So you can actually give it some specific facts, and that'll help give you a much better. It give you a much better response. Um, Another one is temperature, which has been around since ChatGPT 3.5. So temperature is basically uh, trying to moderate the um, output creativity level, which means how random can it be or how deterministic can it be, you know, so... The more creative you want the responses, the higher you set the temperature. Uh, the lower uh, you want the the creativity level, and you just want like uh, deterministic responses with nothing deviating. Then you can set uh, the temperature to a lower value. Um, and then finally, another kind of change which uh, which I think was kind of cool was uh, it's called top p, uh, which is something called nucleus sampling, um, and this is basically the idea that um, if you say I want my top B top P variable to be let's say 0.1, it means that uh, the responses that ChatGPT will consider is uh, only 10% of the probability, which means they're uh, highly catered to um, uh, you know giving you a response that is most likely to be true. Uh, So there's that. I mean, top P and temperature can be used alternatively. Um, You either use one or the other. Uh, But basically, the idea is how deterministic do you want the response to be versus how creative? And I know that people right now are testing the the limits of ChatGPT by giving it like crazy prompts and wanting crazy answers as well. Um, But yeah, you can control some of those parameters by setting these variables, uh, especially if you're doing it through a, a Google Sheets integration. You can have a separate sheet just telling you what these values are or telling ChatGPT what these values are so that it picks those up and then uh, applies it to your prompts so yeah there's a lot like it's still evolving but there's so much uh, so much to learn and so much to uh, fine-tune
0: is this something that e-commerce sellers amazon sellers should be paying attention to whether it's doing what you're doing on the ppc or just should they should they get their head wrapped around this this whole ai is it going to make that big of an impact in the way they run their businesses in the future what, what are your thoughts on that
1: I would say embrace it, like I know there's a little bit of skepticism of AI taking over jobs and the world and all that stuff. Um, I would say uh, the more you can familiarize yourself with uh, what the possibilities are, uh, the better it would be for you and your teams to kind of take advantage of it, leverage it. uh, to improve your business in so many different ways, right? There's uh, productivity you can improve. You can also go over to the uh, visual side of things with MidJourney, which is like this visual interface that Amy Weiss talks about uh, and she did in her BDSS talk as well. Uh, really cool stuff with uh, creating package package design or creating, um, you know, just layouts and just amazing uh, you know, product design, even uh, with just a few instructions, you know, um, and merging of concepts that you never thought were possible before, like almost imaginary uh, and almost like um, whimsical in in a sense. Like she designed like this uh, new style of uh, garlic press, just as an example, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, but you can use, use it for so many different creative ways. Uh, so I would say... I mean, you don't have to have FOMO or anything, but just try to get, just warm up to the idea that this is a thing that will take the world, uh, you know, over. And uh, in some form or the other, it is going to touch your lives, you know. So I, I would uh, encourage people to embrace it um, and learn it uh, so they know what they're up uh, against or, or, you know, it might be something that really helps you uh, in your business.
0: Well, before we wrap up, I just have two quick questions for you just to leave everybody with two quick uh, pieces of advice when it comes to PPC on Amazon. What is a a common mistake that you see a lot of people making that they need to they need to address? And what's something that you see that a lot of people are missing out on an opportunity on on PPC that they, they should dive deeper into?
1: Yeah, so when we do audits, uh, we've done hundreds and hundreds of audits, and this is a common theme. Um, There will be campaigns that are doing extremely well in terms of really good ACoS and they're delivering results and so on, but their budgets will be capped. Uh, that's so common that I almost want to say, "Hey guys, go go back home today and check if that's happening to you." It's easy to find this out. Like, just go to your campaigns manager, look for, just put filters, two filters. All you need is two filters. One, um, a cost is less than, let's say, ten percent or fifteen percent, which means your a cost is really good, uh, and um, set budget uh, filter to uh, less than. 20 or 25 or 30, something like that. And you'll see a bunch of campaigns, um, (laughs) I bet you you will, a bunch of campaigns that you could instantly uh, increase the budgets on and and let the flow of uh, money come to you. Because these are like printing machines, right? These are your best campaigns, but you might be capping them for reasons that are Not sure. I'm not sure why people cap their budgets when something is doing great because uh, it's likely to give you a much better ROI. Uh, So, yeah, anyway, that's one kind of common mistake that I see uh, all the time. Uh, The second one you said was an opportunity. Right. So in terms of opportunities, I see people only focusing on sponsored product, keyword based ads like that's the majority of the focus. And I know why that is, because most of the you know knowledge that's out there the, the teachers the gurus and the software providers uh, in the space only talk about keyword ranking. Like that's the major focus of PPC. When you say PPC, you're talking about keywords in some way or the other, right? Now, th- th- those are important for sure. Like, don't get me wrong, that's very, very important. And you definitely need to have a solid strategy for keyword ranking. However, don't do it at the expense of ignoring everything else that Amazon has given us uh, in terms of low-hanging fruit that other people aren't focused on, like sponsored brand ads, sponsored brand video ads, sponsored display, certain types of sponsored display ads for uh, product targeting and remarketing. If you are um, a brand that has a repeat purchase rate, then you should be doing remarketing ads. It's such a waste to have people come to your page and... um, uh, so there's two types of remarketing, views remarketing and purchase remarketing. So if someone's come to your page and has not purchased or someone's gone to a, a competitor's page and has not purchased, well, those guys are ready. They're just probably busy. They got distracted by something else. You can bring those people back because they're almost there. Right. You want to bring them back. So that's uh, an ad type I see people don't use much. Um, and then with sponsored brand uh, headline, I, I still don't understand why people don't use that tool effectively they think it's more expensive or they think this is for brand building that's not true i use sponsored brands all the time for bottom of funnel conversions it all depends on what kind of keywords you pick for sponsored brand ads like if you took if you take long tail keywords and let's say you match it very closely to the headline you've picked for your sponsored brand ad boom you can have conversions just with that you know uh, so don't miss out on the most valuable real estate on the search results page, which is right up at the top.
0: Awesome advice, uh, Ritu. As usual, uh, if people want to learn more about you, reach out to you or find out more about PPC Ninja, or uh, how, how would they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. So I'm uh, my full name R I T U V A RE2Java. Ritu um, uh, you can also look up our website, ppcninja.com. Uh, and we have an awesome blog. Uh, we also offer a free mastermind program four weeks um, that they can enroll in for free. And it just uh, we just keep repeating it. So we, we are on to our 30th mastermind i believe uh, coming up shortly here in uh, in april and then we just keep doing them uh, as, as soon as one finishes we give it a break and then we start again uh, so you get to hang out with uh, awesome sellers across the world uh, and that way you can kind of learn more about our software and our agency and our uh, our content um, and um, and and we can grow together so yeah
0: awesome well i really appreciate your time today this has been a uh, great information uh, and uh Can't wait till I see you uh, the next time, either at an event or maybe, who knows, speaking at BDSS again.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it, uh, Kevin, and uh, really look forward to the next time. So yeah, have a good one.
0: Thank you. No doubt Ritu is one of the smartest people in our space when it comes to PPC and advertising on Amazon. She's always got some great stuff to share. And in fact, you know, that uh, mastermind, that free mastermind class that she was mentioning uh, I just may have to go check that out myself. I probably will learn a few things in that as well. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and got some good value from it. We'll be back again next week. But before we go, I've got some words of wisdom for you. You know, the person who gets one shot needs everything to go right. But the person who gets a thousand shots is going to score at some point. So in business, find a way to play the game that ensures you get lots of shots. Again, the person who gets one shot needs everything to go right. But the person who gets a thousand shots is going to inevitably score at some point. Find a way to play the game that ensures you get lots of shots. We'll see you again next week.